by your word. And so as we hear tonight, we know that faith is going to rise up so that we can take a hold of, we can appropriate that which you've already provided for us. So Father, bless this time as we share together in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Praise the Lord. Well, we've been talking about the last, I guess this is the third week, been talking about um, grace, the power of the gospel, and uh, grace is the gospel. Um, without grace, you have no gospel, and without the gospel, there is no grace, and so uh, they, are, they are essential. And so tonight we're going to be talking about the purpose of the law, uh, because it does have a specific purpose. Just a reminder once again, um, you should have two pages, and um, the reason why that's significant is that uh, the first two pages, maybe into the third, I don't remember on this lesson, uh, there is the lesson, but then you have some questions uh, concerning um, this lesson that you can answer on your own, and then uh, at the end, there's, there's the, uh, the answer key, and that's from last week. And so it's important to hang on to your, um, hang on to your notes. And just want to encourage you, <clears throat> you know, I, I like to hand out notes because my hope is that you'll use them, uh, go over them. Uh, but not only that, but go over it with other people as well because uh, the notes that you have before you are the same notes that I'm using. And so that means you got at least an hour message that you can preach right there. So. Uh, there you go. Praise the Lord. Well, tonight we're going to talk about the purpose of the law. Um, you know, the Bible says that it's God's goodness that causes people to repent. And uh, the problem is, is a lot of people don't think that God is good. A lot of religion has not presented God uh, as a good God. Um, people are fearful of him. People, uh, you know, and the Bible does talk about fearing the Lord. Uh, but it, it's not talking about terror. It's talking about having an awe, a reverence of him. And, and a lot of times what's happened is we've misinterpreted that. And so as a result of that, <clears throat> people uh, walk in fear because of what they heard about God. And when, when disaster happens in their life, um, they think that God did it. And uh, there is nothing destructive in God. Uh, he is, uh, he's come that we might have life, that we might have it more abundantly. He's not a, he's not a destroyer, he's a, he's a builder and he builds us up. And so, <clears throat> It's, it's his goodness that causes us to repent. And so if you've got your Bibles, um, it's in your notes, but go ahead and turn your Bibles anyway to Romans, the second chapter. And in the fourth verse, <clears throat> I don't know how for years and years we, we missed this verse. I, I, you know, God must have miraculously inserted it into his Bible somehow because uh, I never, never heard this, this verse. And it says, or do, <clears throat> or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing 
that is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And so it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And so to me, one of the things that we want to help people see is we want to, we want to help people see that God is good. Why is it so important that we, we share with people what God has done in their life? Because firsthand they get to see, they get to experience the goodness of God. Because I don't know about you, God's been good to me. And uh, you know, when I have the opportunity to share with somebody the goodness of God, what it does is it, 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 opens, it opens their eyes and they're able to see that God is indeed um, a good God. Um, God's wrath may be able to get a person's attention, but it can't change a heart. You know, wrath, you know, and I, I use that term because the Bible talks about the wrath of God. You know, it's interesting, the moment that you begin to talk about the goodness of God and the love of God, um, people immediately begin to revert back um, to examples in the Old Testament where, uh, where God brought destruction. But we, what we need to understand is the majority of the time when we see in the Old Testament where God brought destruction, we've always interpreted it as being judgment and it phrases it as judgment sometimes. But the majority of the time it was the goodness of God. It was the mercy of God. You know, you think of the flood. Well, that was the judgment of God. Well, it was because of their wickedness that every thought of man was evil. And so God wiped out humanity. But there's another side of that. Is also the grace of God, is also the goodness of God. Because if God had waited another generation, the knowledge of God would have been lost from the earth and there would have been no avenue for the Savior to come through. Because God didn't just go, boom, there's a Savior. He had to have an avenue for that Savior to come through. And so uh, when God brought judgment upon the earth, and, and remember this, these individuals were spiritually dead. God had no way to deal with them but through the physical. God deals with us differently. He doesn't deal with us through the physical. He deals with us through the spirit. We are a living spirit being. And so he, he ministers to us or he speaks to us spirit to spirit, not spirit to flesh. You know, anytime we begin to try to do it in our own ability, in our own strength, that's when we run into uh, issues. That's when we run into trouble. Um, don't lose your place in Romans because we're going to be coming back there. But I want to read a passage to you out of Proverbs, the 16th chapter in the 6th verse, and it says, In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. And again, here we see the word fear, but if you really study that out, it isn't talking about, you know, being afraid of God. It's, it's being awe of God, recognizing who he truly is. But notice what it says, in mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. Our iniquities, our sins have been paid for, how? Through mercy and truth. Mercy and truth, and of course we know that his word is truth, his word, Jesus, is mercy. Um, and so this is what 
Paul was dealing with in Romans, the second chapter, he was, he was dealing with um, this conflict between law and grace because he was speaking to the, uh, to the Jews and the Jews were under the law. And so, um, and, and so this is what he was dealing with. Uh, I'm going to read from the notes a little bit because it says it better than I can. These Jews disdained these non-religious people because they weren't keeping the rules and the holy standards of the law. And so he's talking about the Jews. They were, they were looking down at uh, Paul and the other Christians because they didn't feel like they were keeping the law the way they ought. Well, the truth of the matter is they weren't keeping the law as they ought. And so what Paul is dealing with, he's, he's dealing with this uh, idea that they have that they're, they're keeping the law when in reality they really aren't. I just got a paraphrase here of what Paul told them and it says, Paul told them, since you've been giving a superior knowledge of God, since you've been given a superior knowledge of God's right standing, standards through the law, in addition to your um, intuitive knowledge, you doubly, you're doubly guilty. You now have the mental understanding of what is disdained, uh, d demanded for, of perfection, and you know you're not keeping it. And so what he's saying is, you know, every one of us, remember we talked about it, I think we talked about it a little bit last week, how uh, the knowledge of God no, nobody's without excuse. We talked about it last week. Nobody is without excuse because you, you, you see God in everything. And intuitively, if an individual will be honest with themselves, they know that there's a God. And so he's talking about the Jews and he says they're, they, they've got, um, they got two strikes against them because they have the knowledge, because they have the law, but they also have the intuitive. They also have that inside feeling, if you will, that, that, that God is real. There, there's this knowing. And so this is what he's dealing with. And, and so these people, these Jews, are um, thinking quite highly of themselves. But again, going back to what he says in Romans 2, 4, that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. You know what? The Jews knew nothing of his goodness. And it wasn't because God was good, but it was because of any, everything that was imposed upon them. It was everything that was afflicted upon them. You know, a few years ago when we went to Israel, we went to the Wailing Wall and so forth, and it was quite an experience. But the only thing is, you don't see joy on anybody's face. You guys were there year or two after us. Did you see any joy? No. You go to the airport and you see everybody going through their motions. You know, they, they point, I think they got to point east and so they're, they're doing their prayers and everything. But you know what? They're not smiling while they're praying because it's, it's, it's bondage. And that's what you saw uh, throughout the country. You didn't, you didn't see joy in the lives of people. You would think, here you have the Jewish people, the chosen of God, there ought to be such joy in their life, but there wasn't because they were so burdened. Let me tell you what the law will do. The law, and we'll look at this in a little bit, 
the law will afflict burden upon you. You know, it'll, it'll pull you down, it'll hold you down. And God wants us to go beyond that. And so this is what, again, this is what Paul is dealing with. You know, <clears throat> Paul summarizes all of this in chapter 3 saying, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, if you're religious or not, everybody is guilty before God. And you see, the idea is that the Jews thought because of going through certain motions, keeping certain regulations, whatever it may be, they were right with God. You know what the purpose of the law was? The purpose of the law was to reveal to us we need a Savior. That's why it was given to the children of Israel because they thought they could do everything themselves. You see it over and over again. All you have to do is, you know, if you're reading through your Bible like I am, you're getting towards the end of Genesis right now. But you're just seeing over and over again that they, they, they start out uh, fired up for God, but before very long, they're doing it themselves all over again. And the next thing you do is you start building a monument unto yourself, just like Tower of Babel. You know, what were they doing? They were, they were building a tower to heaven because they were going to take the throne. And that's what we want to do is we want to take the throne. And what the law did is it revealed to us no matter how hard we try in our own strength and our own ability, we can't do it. Because the comparison is never between one another. It's always between us and God. And God says that there's, there's only one standard that qualifies. And that standard is perfection. And so if we've not kept the law perfectly, we've not kept the law at all. And see, that's what he was trying to bring around to the to the Jews is for them to realize, for them to see that no matter how hard they try, they're not able to do it in their own strength. What does the law do for you and I? For you and I, it revealed to us no matter how hard we tried. I mean, I was better than my brother. I can tell you that right now. But you know what? It wasn't good enough because that's not the comparison. It's the brother. His name is Jesus that we have to measure up to. And none of us None of us do. And so he, he summarizes it. And so in, in Romans, the third chapter again, or to the third chapter, and we're going to look at the 10th verse, 10th and 11th verse, and it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. I think he wanted to emphasize something there. Because he should have just been able to say there's none righteous. But then he emphasizes, says, no, not one. There is none who understand. There is none who seeks after God. None. He doesn't say the majority. There isn't anybody. In other words, nobody qualifies in their own strength and their own ability. And so what is religion? Religion is, is man's attempt to get right with God. And so what has is, what is religion done? Religion has given us a bunch of patterns, a bunch of rules and regulations that if we follow these rules and regulations, then everything is hunky-dory. But it isn't about rules and regulations. It's about faith. It's about recognizing what Jesus did for each and every one of us. And we put our trust and we put our confidence completely in that and in, in nothing else. The thing that 
we have to see about this, and this is what he wants us to see, is that here he's addressing the Jews because they have um, the law. But even if we're non-religious, um, nobody is in total ignorance. You know, the only people that are in, in total ignorance are there because they chose to be there. They've chosen to reject God. You know, before each individual that's out there, I mean, how does somebody become a um, atheist? I happen to believe there is no such thing, you know, because those that profess to be atheists, the moment something happens, they cry out to God. <laughs> and so I don't think they're a true atheist. There's agnostics. I think there's a lot of that. They, they, they don't think there's a God, but they don't know for sure. Well, one day they will know for sure. But see, um, even nobody is without excuse because all of us within this creation, like we talked last week, um, there's, there's enough to reveal to us that there is a God, and so we need to seek after him. In verse 12 there it says, they have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. Not even one. There is none who does good. Not even one. <clears throat> not even if you've got a Hollywood contract and you on commercials. It's not good because you don't measure up. But the point is that none of us do. And that's what, that's what we have to see concerning this, this gospel of grace that apart from Jesus, um, there is no hope. And so what Paul is wanting to do is he's wanting to quiet the Jews down. He wants them to be quiet. I put in my notes, he wants to shut them up. But I know that's not a nice way to talk. And so I'm, I'm being nice tonight. But he wants them to be quiet. He wants to stop their conversation. He wants to stop them from um, speaking because what they're doing is they're, they're basically bringing guilt and condemnation upon themselves. It takes away all the excuses and the comparisons and gives you a knowledge of sin and makes you guilty before God. That's what the law does. It makes us guilty before God. And it places us in a position where we know that we can't make it without Him. And so there's only one answer then, because, you know, uh, apart from Jesus, we live a life walking in guilt and condemnation. Look what it says in verse 19. We're still in Romans 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And so it's, it's given to man for what purpose? That our mouths might be stopped. In other words, we stop, stop talking about our accomplishments. What is, what is, why is he addressing it to the Jews? That they stop talking about their accomplishments. They stop talking about how they've been able to keep the law. You know, remember the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and says to Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And he says, keep the law. And he says, which ones? 
He says, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not uh, covet. What did he say? All this I've done since my youth. You know, and so Jesus wasn't telling us that we needed to take a vow of poverty. He was locating the guy because he said, well then, go sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. He couldn't do it. You know why he couldn't do it? Because he worshiped money. Money was more important to him than God. Broke the first commandment. Don't have to even worry, go any further. Don't have to worry about it anymore. He broke the first one. Because he did not go sell his possessions. And again, you know what the law does is it locates us. It reveals to us where we really are. It reveals to us, are we trusting in ourselves or are we come to the place where we realize, I can't make it without Jesus. I've got to have him in my life. I've got to have his grace and his mercy or I'm not going to be able to uh, make it. Therefore, or excuse me, down one more. Um, verse 21. Well, no, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For the, by the law is the knowledge of sin. You know, Paul says, you know, the law revived and I died. What does that mean? He recognized that uh, he, he couldn't do it himself. That he, he was lost, that he needed a savior. And that's what the law does for us. You know, people have said, Pastor, you don't like the law. I love the law. I love the law. Thank God for the law. If it hadn't been for the law, I wouldn't have known that I needed a Savior. Why did, Jesus give, why did God give the law to the children of Israel? To reveal to them that they needed a Savior, that they couldn't do it in their own strength and in their own ability. That they needed God in their life. Because, you know, man in his natural state will always move away from God. Man in his natural state will always be self-sufficient. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important for us to continue in the Word of God. Because what it allows us to do is to keep our flesh under. What happens when the flesh rises up, the old nature tries to take dominance in our life. It's not the old you. Because the old you was crucified with Christ. You have a brand new you that was resurrected in Christ Jesus. And that's your spirit man. But that old nature tries to rise up and, and enter in and, and, and dominate your life. You know, <clears throat> there's a scripture says, um, can't think of what the scripture says right now. But it says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Well, you see, you can, you can go out and do whatever you want. Well, you know what? You can't. Let me tell you what will happen. Your old nature, your flesh will rise up. And your flesh will get, begin to dominate you. And the next thing you know, you'll be moving away from God. Because that's the natural flow of things. When we don't give God his proper place in our life. We'll, we'll flow away from him. We'll move away from him. And, and, and sin, you know, like I said last week or the week before, sin is no longer the issue. Jesus took care of sin. But when we allow sin in our life, the wages or the consequences of sin is, is death. In other words, sin will always produce consequences in our life. 
And so why do we want to live a holy life? Is it to please God? Well, yeah, it is to please God. But it isn't to gain salvation because we already have it. So why do we want to live a holy life? We want to live a holy life because it keeps the flesh under and it doesn't allow an opening for the enemy to come in our life and bring death and destruction. Because his mission has not changed. The thief has come but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. And that's what he'll always want to do in our life. But you know what? He doesn't have the right to do that. But when we get away from, from, from God, when we get away from listening to the Holy Spirit and, and the Word of God being alive in our life, what happens is we begin to listen to the lie and we begin to accept it. You know one of the first ways that we can tell whether we're listening to the lie or not? Listen to what, what's coming out of your own mouth. You know, what we say is an indication. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, so what it does is it reveals what's really on the inside of us. What have we been listening to? If it's negative, if it's filled with hopelessness, if it's filled with the defeat, uh, you've probably been watching the news. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, but when, we, when, we're, when we're paying attention to the Word of God and what God has to say and, and confessing what He says about us, what happens? We walk in victory and wholeness. You can become righteous, enjoy right standing with God, just as, you'd, as if you had never sinned. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus did it. And we can, we can live free from sin. We can live in right standing with God. Just as if we, sin never had any dominance in our life at all. We can go through life not having to experience guilt and condemnation. We don't have to have the shame that we once experienced in our life. We don't have to have those things any longer because Jesus took care of those things. But you know what the law does is it continually brings all those things up over and over again. You know, just, just one little example, like we had communion on Sunday. You know, growing up in the church that I grew up in, it wasn't as legalistic as a lot of them, but it was, it dealt with legalism. You know, your, your salvation was dependent upon being baptized, going through confirmation, um, attending church on a regular basis, and throwing a buck in the offering every once in a while for good measure. You know, and so those, those were the works that you went through. And because, you know, somebody asked you if you were going to go to heaven, you know, you'd say, yeah, you know, because of Jesus and because I've, I've been a pretty good person. At least I've been better, you know, than Terry. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, you know, but, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd come up with something. You know, but that, that isn't going to do it. You know, because we, we've got to live, live perfectly. And so, because you live in that environment, though your life is, is continually filled with condemnation. And the condemnation is, have I really been good enough? Remember fishing on Lake Malak up in Minnesota in the middle of the night and you could barely see the shore and, you know, be cool, you know, you couldn't wear a life jacket because the other guy wasn't. And, you know, I would have showed my weakness if I would have put on a life jacket. And, so I was scared to death because that boat turned over, man, I was done, you know, because you could just barely see the shoreline. And so I was, I was filled with fear. And so here I am, gone to church my entire life, done the very best that I could, 
Well, maybe not quite, but better than my brother. <clears throat> you know, did pretty good, but had absolutely no confidence. Suffered with condemnation, guilt, shame, all the things go along with it because trying to keep the law, can't do it. I tell you, that's why the Jewish people that ought to be the happiest people in the world suffer because they're under the law. They don't know the mercies and the grace of God. It's available to them, thank God, as it's available to all of us. Um, verse 21 again, it says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law of the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all. What? Faith. How are we saved? For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we don't have anything to boast about. Why don't we have anything to boast about? Because I have nothing to do with it. It's all about Jesus and what, what he's done for me. You know, of course, tonight we're talking about the law, the importance of the law. And the importance of the law is to bring us to that place to where we're, we're completely dependent upon Jesus, realizing that the, my only hope is, is that free gift that Jesus has provided for me. Let's go on over to Romans, the, the seventh chapter. Romans, the seventh chapter. And uh, we'll begin reading in the seventh verse. And it says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. You know, and so, you know, the, the, there, there, there's the extreme, you know, so we're, we're not supposed to have anything to do with the law. Well, well the, the law is still there and it still directs us to Jesus. And uh, so, it isn't that they tried to keep the law that they were sin, that, that they were in sin. It was that they were trying to do things in their own strength and their own ability. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary. It would not have, I would have, and here we're, we're, is what Paul is talking about, what I just shared with you. I would have not known sin except through the law. For I would not have knowing covetousness, unless the law said, you shall not covet. And so, you know, <clears throat> intuitively again, there's things that we know that are right and that are not right and so on and so forth. But you know, the, the real God post was the law. You know, that was, that was the, the determining factor because let me tell you something. The flesh in its natural state is, is extremely powerful. You know, you, we, we look at it and we, we think, how do, how do people do some of the things that they do? It's because the flesh is ruling in their life. 
And intuitively, they, they know the right thing to do, but they, they resist it and they put it down so long that that part of it is, is covered over. And so what the law does is it, it opens it up once, once again. And we can see the truth. We can see what we really need to follow. And we can see how badly we really need a Savior, how we need Jesus in our lives. But sin, having opportunity by the commandment, produced in me a manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. And so, you know, until the law came along, you know, it was dead. It was dead in our life until the law came along. The law revealed to us um, what was going to produce, what was being produced in our lives. I was alive once, Paul says. Remember Paul? He, he was the one, Saul, he was the one that was persecuting the church. He was going into houses and arresting men and women and throwing them in prison because of their faith. He had no problems doing that. And I would venture to guess that there were a whole lot of other things that were going on as well. But see, it says he was alive once, apart without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. In other words, in all of my efforts, I thought it was going to bring hope, it was going to bring life, but it brought death, brought a sense of hopelessness. You know, that's what happens when we try to keep the law in our own strength and our own ability. You know, that which should produce life, what happens? It, it, it produces death. It gives us that sense, I can't do it. That death, that hopelessness. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taken opportunity by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and just, and good. And so, in and of itself, it's good. The problem is, is it's working through the flesh. When it's trying to work through the flesh, and when we try to work it out in the flesh, that's when we get into difficulty. That's when we lose our strength. First, First Corinthians uh, fifteen fifty six it says, "The strength of sin is the law. The strength of sin is the law." Once again, remember what what's the real issue here? The real issue concerning sin is me trying to do it in my own ability. It's me trying to do it separate from relying upon the grace and the mercy of God. It's not me doing it by faith. It's me doing it in my own ability. You know, works. I'm working out my salvation. You know, and I know the scripture says that we're to work out our salvation. But with that, that isn't talking about earning it. 
And that's what we begin to do. We begin to try to, to earn it. Uh, the law, its strength, it, it battles against us. Where we see ourselves as we ought not to. We see ourselves, we begin to see ourselves defeated because we're trying to do it in our own strength. Romans 6, 14, it says, For sin shall not have dominion over us, for you not, are not under law, but under grace. You know, it's interesting. What we couldn't do under the law, we can do under grace. And so what I'm saying is, I, I, I'm not in any way saying we're not supposed to do what the law tells us to do. We should not kill, we should not steal, we should not covet, we should not uh, commit adultery, we should not bear false witnesses, all of those things. All those things, we ought to follow that. But we're not doing it in our own strength, we're doing it by the grace of God. It's as we rely upon Him and we trust in Him. That, but when we begin to do it in our own strength, that's when it begins to take root and it begins to hold on to us and it begins to control us. It begins to dominate us. You know, the, the thing about the law is short term, we can feel good because I've done something. You know, the, the, <laughs> the problem with Christianity is it's free. The problem is, is there's nothing we can do to earn it and deserve it. And, and so the reason that that's a problem is that it goes totally contrary to our, our natural way of thinking, our natural way of being, because our natural way of thinking and being is we want to do it. You know, that's why, you know, some of the, the occults that rely upon uh, works are some of the fastest growing cults and it's because people feel like they're able to do something. Well, it's not that we, we can't do anything, but we do it out of a, out of a different motivation. We don't, we don't keep the law because, to try to get favor with God. We keep it because we have favor with God. We serve one another not because we're trying to get brownie points. We serve one another because of God's love shed abroad in our heart. And it's become our, our, our very nature. It's not something we try to do. It's just, it's just something that we do because it's part of who we, we truly are. In James 2.10 it says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. And I made reference to that a few times. But if we, if we try to keep the whole off, we try to keep it, we say, well, I've, I've kept it, but, you know, I've, I've done pretty good. You know, that's what I hear from people that, that are, I call them Jew wannabes. You know, because they, they get back under the law and they, they think they're, they're keeping the commandments and, you know, and they, they, they criticize um, because we're not keeping the law. But they're not keeping the law. Because if you're gonna, if you're gonna keep the law, you've gotta keep every part of the law. Well, we, we keep more than you do. Well, praise our Lord. 
but you're just as much a failure as I am. Because in order to, to, to earn salvation, to, to, to do what God has asked us to do by the law, you have to keep it all. That means every, every part of it, every point of it, if you fail in one point, <clears throat> you know, I may not commit adultery, I may not steal, I may not kill, I may not covet, but you know what? If I gossip, I'm a murderer, a, steal, a, a robber, stealer. <laughs> I will never be a stealer. <laughs> How could those words even come out of my mouth? In the name of Jesus. They will never happen. A stoler. You know, but, but we've got to, one has to keep it all. But you know what? 